Hello and welcome to Fragmenters, the most entertaining podcast that I've found where you get to have a conversation with business women who are enthusiastic about life, work, and money. We love building up other women and getting them ready for their new careers. Cause, 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 no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Fragmenters. We have an exciting episode for you today, but first I'd like to remind you, it really helps me out if you could rate and review the podcast on whatever streaming service you use, and we'll just get right to it. I am super excited for you all to meet Kate Dudzik today. She is a cognitive scientist and an artificial intelligence designer. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for having me, Dina. Of course. So first question is, what does that mean? (laughs) Honestly, that's a great question. Most of the time, I think about thinking. That's what it means to be a cognitive scientist. So I spend my time thinking about what makes a thought, how much does a thought weigh, where does it come from, why are we having these types of thoughts like daydreams, what is the purpose, why do we do this, and I kind of turn this into a career with the artificial intelligence design because the majority of the AI that I work with is creating programs that are structured thought, essentially. So when you're able to understand thought, you can replicate it, describe it, and kind of predict it using artificial intelligence. That's kind of what I do. I'm, you've got me speechless. I just, <laughs> how did you, you're like, what's a thought and how does it work? How did you turn that into a career? <laughs> Honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> I've always been super passionate about understanding human beings. And quite honestly, I fell in love with philosophy quite early on in my life. And I knew that there wasn't necessarily a career in the 2000s for a philosopher. So I I stumbled across a discipline called cognitive scientist or cognitive science, sorry. Um, Have you ever heard of it like as a domain before? So I've heard of cognitive-based therapy or CB. I I don't remember what it's called. (laughs) No, cognitive behavioral therapy. Behavioral, that's it. Super effective. Honestly, there's so many studies showing how like CBT practices can be as effective as psychopharmacology, which is amazing. And it just Mm -hmm. shows how powerful changing your thoughts can be for your overall life. Um, But returning back to our subject, cognitive science is a multidisciplinary field. So the main disciplines are neuroscience, psychology, linguistics, philosophy, and computer science. What they basically decided was like, if we're gonna look at something as complex as human thought or consciousness, we need to come at it from multiple disciplines. You know, it's not to understand motivation from neuroscience alone or what is knowledge without linguistics because how else do we express knowledge but through language, right? So it's a super cool field and I fell across it because it was a huge part of the university I went to and I was like oh my goodness why didn't I know about this earlier and I ended up doing two degrees in the discipline and that's how I kind of stumbled into building AI that replicates human thought. We haven't even gotten in the AI I will ask in a minute. (laughs) 
So you said that you were introduced to it into your university. So what did you initially go there for? Actually, I was a special student when I first enrolled. So what that means is if you come from a traditionally unconventional background, or if you're kind of unsure about what you want to do, a good option for you is maybe going in as a special student where you take one or two classes, see if you like it, if you do well, moving into a degree program, and if not, um, finding something else that suits you a little bit better. So I started that way and I took an anthropology class, a psychology class, and I was like, whoa, this is a game changer. And that's when I first started exploring, asking around, and I found cognitive science and enrolled in that discipline. I didn't even, I mean, like I said, I've heard of cognitive behavioral therapy, but I didn't realize there was an entire group of people who that was their entire it's amazing so now I need to know more about AI because when I think AI I think Terminator oh yeah I am legend (laughs) (laughs) honestly a lot of people have extreme representations of artificial intelligence because the way it's portrayed in our media You know, most oftentimes when I'm talking to a group or talking to people about artificial intelligence, it involves having to kind of break down those stereotypes or those preconceived notions about, oh my goodness, it's going to be exactly the last representation I saw in popular culture. And it's like, well, the seed, even if it did exist, it probably wouldn't tell you, first of all. Right. Uh, (laughs) We're not quite there yet, as far as I know. So artificial intelligence is anything that's a synthetic, so man-made form of intelligent behavior. So it's capable of completing a task that is complex, performing the necessary traits or skills of expertise. And if we return kind of like to our roots, you know, technology is anything that's been made using principles of science or engineering. Mm -hmm. So even like the chair I'm sitting on is technology in its own right. So artificial intelligence is kind of this, this beautiful field where we use a lot of computer science, but a, a big misconception is that computer science is the same as the field of artificial intelligence, which is not true. Mm-hmm. All computer science is AI, but AI is not computer science. And it kind of looks at either creating supplementary or replacement tools to help create a better life, I like to think, for humanity. I mean, that's how I view it. Yeah, that, so I do see the good. Again, pop culture, because I'm not in the field, but like right now my husband and I are watching House. And yeah, I love House. Well, I love medical stuff, but they've, it's later in the season. So they're bringing in like robots that are doing the surgeries for them and stuff. And that I'm assuming is part of artificial intelligence. Absolutely. Now, that is not the AI that I create, so I'm not going to pretend to be an expert <laughs> on how robotics work. I can tell you what I know about that is it's all informed by human experts. So as far as what I understand from the research and different exposures I've had to those types of materials, people who know those types of tasks inside and out so, so well, who can predict the types of mistakes that would happen, who can predict the types of interruptions that could occur, inform the design at every single stage. 
And a lot of the times you also get something called mixed initiative design, which is where artificial intelligence is created to work with the person. And there's a person who's most commonly an expert who's there to help guide that AI through its uh, process. So through whatever task it's actually going to do. So I'm not sure which ones you were exposed to, if it was like a person kind of guiding that robot or if it was like a robot on its own being like, heck yes, I can do this. (laughs) But either way, there's always that kind of human hand there that's like Mm -hmm. been through this a million times, seen all the possible outcomes or at least the majority of them and is able to say, this is what we can do to make this task a little bit safer or a little bit more accurate, or potentially optimize it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what kind of AI are you into? Since you're not into robotics, what, (laughs) if you can tell us, what kind of AI do you play with? I love making agents. (laughs) Agents? Agents Like Mr. Smith on the (laughs) Yes, like Mr. Smith. Sometimes I feel like the architect over here. Uh, (laughs) I love building agents, so artificial intelligence with a sense of autonomy. Mm -hmm. I want to know if we can build artificial intelligence that has the capability of producing original daydreams or wandering an environment and making mistakes, learning from them, you know, managing interruptions. That's actually what I wrote my master's thesis on was what is the power of a daydream and what is the role of emotion in decision-making? So I built an agent that had all the representative cognitive structures necessary to kind of produce this behavior and then put it through an environment where she was able to do her thing, interact with other agents, perform a task, but also manage interruptions from the inside and out. Like, you know, when you're you're trying to do something, like maybe make a sandwich and all of, all of a sudden you're just like, oh, that vacation I'm going to go on. And it just pops up in your head and you're like, oh, my goodness, I use like mayonnaise instead of mustard or something. And you make uh-huh. those little, oh, goodness. Those moments are exactly what I put into Rachel. So I gave her the ability to have them without dictating when they would happen or what they would look like, just to kind of see if an AI could produce them themselves. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the the stuff that I like to play around with. And should could blah 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 could she? <laughs> she could. She's amazing. Oh my gosh, that's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. I felt like I was getting to know a tiny human. I was like, "You go, girl. You're getting so good at this." And like different runs would go different ways. No two instances of her existence were ever the same, which I think is so cool. It's. Interesting to see the possibilities beyond just, oh, let's make a system that does math better, you know? Can we watch it feel feelings? Or like you said earlier, CBT, for example, can we design AI to look at exactly what's going on inside the brain when we go through CBT practices, you know? can look inside those black boxes with AI. It's cool. Yeah, that would... So the... The theory, I don't know what it's called, the theory, the practice, the whatever of therapy that really helped me um, skyrocket through my CPTSD was EMDR. And you don't know what that is? No, I don't. 
or it's okay if you don't want to. I mean, I don't know what the acronym stands for. I'm real good at saying them, but I don't know what it stands for. But essentially, it is a rewire of the brain. So you take either a sight. Yeah, it's you take either um, sound helped me most. So that's what I can speak to. But while you are thinking of like you have this negative feeling, and this is my experience. I'm in IT, so I'm not a therapist. Don't take this stuff to heart. But how it worked for me was um, I would have this big feeling, whatever it was. Yeah. And she would walk me through thinking back to like the first time I remember having that feeling. So you kind of go down the timeline of all the times you felt that. And then once you get to either where you can't go past, like it gives you too much anxiety or something, or the first you can actually remember. Yeah. Then while you're doing that, I did sound like I said, and so it would be going at a certain pace, the noise would. And once you get to there, she would have you like say, I felt worthless. Mm -hmm. So that would be all the times that I felt worthless, I would go back and feel that feeling until the very first time. And then before it started, we figured out I wanted to feel worthy. So we would flip the script, uh, flip the script, change the speed of the sound and start thinking of times where I felt worthy. And it it, I don't know how it works. I don't know the science behind it. I know it's one of the more um, new forms of therapy. So they're still doing studies on it. But essentially how she explained it is that it rewires your brain mm-hmm. so that your um, the grooves that you cut in your brain. So like if this happens, this is how you respond. Mm-hmm. It rewires that. So that instead of if I made a mistake, I felt like a worthless piece of shit, mm-hmm. I rewired it to I made a mistake and I can grow from this. You yes. know what I mean? So yeah. the reason I brought that up, because it seems like a tangent, but I meant something, was oh. I would love if your artificial intelligence could like see the neural pathways that are where it was and where it rebuilds to so that it can kind of explain it. That would be amazing. Honestly, I really want someone to do that. (laughs) I think so coming from my area, I work at something called the cognitive level. Mm -hmm. Now there's this brilliant scientist. um, You most oftentimes he spoke about in his pairing, which was Simon and Newell. So Herbert Simon and Alan Newell are two of the forefathers of the field of cognitive science and artificial intelligence. Um, Herbert Simon actually won a Nobel Prize for the concept of satisfying, like they're brilliant human beings. And Newell proposed these things called bands uh, inside the human system. So we start with the almost smallest, which is the biological band. So this is where you find your cells and your organelles and all of those smaller components. And they kind of build on top of each other. And what I like about the scale is you you go all the way up from from the cells or the neurons inside your brain to the different pathways Mm -hmm. that are connected inside your brain. And then once you go from there, you go to kind of the regions of your brain and you bridge 
to the next band, which is called the cognitive band. So this is where you find cognitive mechanisms and modules that build together to kind of create the psychological band. So this is kind of where you're going to start getting the foundations of thought. And then above that is where you get the rational band, where you start seeing problem solving and dynamic behavior. So I do modeling down here at the cognitive level. But that being said, they're not just linear. It's almost like a sphere. You know, you can't have one without the other. So they're, they're all kind of touched upon, but more so my, my focus would be at the cognitive band. So what we would do is to replicate something like that, say what cognitive mechanisms or decisions are being made, maybe even thought structures are happening at a habitual level inside your brain that creates that almost domino effect where now all of a sudden your instinct and your survival mechanism or your thought process in that moment is to say, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. Instead, oh, pause. Hey, there's no alternative. We can make this an active decision. You know, it's where it's almost become a bias in that moment where you're like, oh, without even critically thinking about it, without employing your, your decision-making abilities you're just like oh this is what happens and you take a step back and you're like wait why did I do that to myself that's not what I wanted to do at that moment are you kidding so kind of taking a step back to dissect it and say okay how can we choose a different thought to put inside that structure or how can we pick a different type of thought structure to select instead of this one that's obviously not doing us any good so right does that kind of make sense oh yeah for sure so one of my symptoms was any type of conflict mm -hmm. was like I was in danger, like critical danger. Like if I started having a disagreement and this is how I actually got into therapy because it, it got to the point I was having a discussion at work and I vehemently disagreed with, we were in a class and they were saying this would work in our system. And I was like, no, it wouldn't because of blah, blah, blah. And I had this disagreement and it really wasn't big at all. Looking back, he was like, I think this would work. And I was like, well, actually this probably wouldn't. And he's like, well, this is why blah, blah, blah. And it turned out I was right. It was maybe a 45 second exchange. Okay. I had to leave. I was crying at work, hyperventilating because like my body was like, I'm under attack. I'm being chased by a lion when it was just right. So to have something to be able to stop that and be like, this is the thought. Why am I reacting like this? Yes. And now after EMDR, I don't react like that. I don't have the same triggers because of whatever we did that reprogrammed everything. But I can see how you could cognitively look at it too. Um. Yes, absolutely. And I'm so glad that that therapy was so successful for you. Yeah. And it it doesn't work for everyone. It's definitely for, it usually helps on trauma and it's only if you're ready. And I was ready. So I, I'm a big proponent for it, but that's what worked for me. And that's why there are so many different types of therapies out there, I believe, because 100%. we're all so different. And sometimes talking through something is what you need. And sometimes you need someone in there, not physically rewiring your brain. <laughs> yes, it's so true. 
And like, as someone who's also been to therapy and gone to therapy, um, as a scientist and as a human being, I believe if you have a brain, you probably need therapy at some point, you know, it's someone who helps you think like it's this huge organ that has a huge role in our lives. Why wouldn't you take it to the doctor or make sure it's in good health or doing the things it's supposed to like a checkup, you know, why wouldn't you check on your heart? Why wouldn't you check on your brain? And I can, I can tell you in my own experience, I've had some great therapists and I've also had some not great therapists. And it's not that they weren't good at what they did. It's that it wasn't good for me. Right. And that's the difference. You know, uh, the person that I currently see, I love her because she challenges me. And a lot of therapy, at least nowadays, for one reason or another, I feel that it's not as focused on autonomy as I would like it to be. So sometimes it is the case that there's another person in your life who's a problem. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's up to you to decide how you want to react to that. It's up to you to take accountability for yourself or say, maybe I'm the one who's making a mistake here. And maybe it's up to me to kind of learn how I can do better next time, you know? And, and that's something that I personally enjoy is I like seeing what I have control over and how to be the best version of myself within those boundaries. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, oh yeah. Radical self-responsibility is, it's a game changer. It really is. It's very freeing. <laughs> So I love that you, you brought up, it's an organ. You, if you're sick, you need to go to the doctor. So I'm really big. I'm kind of a bully. Actually, I push all the men I know to go to therapy (laughs) because I like you feel, I like it. If you have a brain, you should probably go to therapy. So what I usually tell people is if you're struggling with something, equate it to something at home. Right. If you have a pipe burst and it's like flooding, if you can't figure it out, you hire a plumber. If, yeah. So I'm like a therapist <laughs> is a plumber for your thoughts, for your brain. Yes. 100%. <laughs> yeah. So if you're struggling and if you don't know why, or if you can't get past this one thing, Hire the brain plumber. <laughs> Go work on it. Yes. And I, I also love that you do help encourage some of the, the males in your life to go to therapy as well, because just as much as the, the patriarchy is extremely harmful for women, it also harms men. Yes. And this is why I'm like, sometimes I'm like, why, why aren't you fighting to disassemble the system? It's restricting and oppressing you just as much, like in different ways. And maybe not just as much, maybe that's the wrong way to say it, but it is effectively harming everybody, you know, especially in the space of emotional expression. Yeah. So I'm glad that you're, you're able to help support the people in your life because sometimes you do need that push. Heck yeah. yes. You may say bully, but maybe you're you're just the driving force of momentum to help get someone rolling, you know? Um, hasn't worked. Okay, it has worked. I was going to say some <laughs> people have. Not everyone, though. But that just means they weren't ready for it yet. Yeah, um, I was just going to say, you know, you were ready for therapy. Yes. Some people need to be ready. Some people also need to know that it's safe to try when they are ready. So maybe your reminders are are giving them that kind of priming, you know, like, Hey, when I do decide it's right for me, there's at least one person in my corner who's going to say, this is the right thing. That's beautiful. Yep. And you can always call me crying. 
that oh. I'm I'm good for that. <laughs> They're lucky to have you. Well, you do too now. So <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Oh my goodness. Same goes both ways. Anytime you want to nerd out about Cogsai or just talk and have someone listen, I got you. Awesome. So I know that you said you went into school, you didn't know what you wanted to do. Then you found this and you were like, yeah, this is my calling. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it wasn't all easy. Just like, this is it now. And <laughs> I am the genius. So what was your biz- biggest obstacle in pursuing this and then getting into it? Oh, goodness. Like you said, it was not always easy. Mm-hmm. 100%. It was challenging. Uh, Academically, there were some courses that were more difficult for me than others. And I did need to put in the extra work. You know, I found that because I don't come from a traditionally wealthy or stable home, I had some disadvantages that a lot of my peers didn't face. Mm -hmm. And I had to pay rent. You know, I had to decide between toilet paper or Kleenex, you know, I I needed to make financial decisions that a lot of my peers had the luxury not to Mm -hmm. in some ways. So I was also working three jobs at the time when I was in my undergrad. It definitely didn't help when I was taking a course like neurodevelopmental determinants of mental health and balancing four other courses and going to my shift at the pub that night, you know? Yeah. um, Definitely, I would say socioeconomic factors were one of the biggest uh, obstacles for me. Even this day, you know, obviously, like a lot of other human beings, I'm still paying off my loan and I know it's sizable. Would I trade it? Absolutely not. You know, education has helped me become a better version of myself and it's let me pursue something I'm passionate about and I'm lucky in that sense. Mm -hmm. Also, I can't help but feel like it's another one of those, oh good, this is another nail to put in my foot. Like, you know (laughs) what I mean? (laughs) Just make that walk a little bit more fun. Let's do it, you know? Right. (laughs) So that was school. Now, after school, did you have any obstacles getting into a seat at the table or... I didn't mean to put it that way, but it's very fitting. <laughs> or just getting into, uh, I don't know where you work, a lab or? Yeah, yeah no, I, I've worked in labs and I've worked in in uh, more corporate settings. And I think as far as a seat at the table, there are some people who do not want to hear what you have to say from your body. And to kind of unpack that, I was given some terrible advice back in in school uh, where people told me to not wear makeup and to dye my hair brown. Um, For anyone who can't see me, I have naturally blonde hair. It's it's very blonde. Um, I thought it was dyed. It's beautiful. (laughs) It's it's very blonde. And I tried to dye my hair brown once, actually, and it looked like I had little floating roots coming in, you know, just... And, um, you know, it's it's not for the color of my hair or the way I look, but it was the fact that people told me to cover up my body or to change the way I looked and dressed in order to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. I found this really insulting because that meant that my qualifications weren't enough. My knowledge and experience on certain topics wasn't enough. 
it basically told me that no matter how hard I tried, unless I looked the part, I wouldn't be the part. And so I think that was one of the hardest things to learn coming into any environment, really. I'd like to say this was just moving into the workforce, but it was the same in school. Mm. You know, I distinctly remember being in a class where I said one answer and the prof kind of ignored me. And then my friend sitting next to me, who was a white, heteronormative, traditionally attractive looking male, would echo exactly what I said. And the prof would be like, oh, that's a great point. And he'd be like, you just give me a nudge being like, it's a great point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and it was the same in the workforce where I had to learn how to speak in a way that was the most effective for the person I was speaking to. Mm-hmm. And this is a very good skill. And I feel that as a woman in science and engineering, you're almost forced to learn it at a more in-depth level than your male counterpoints. <laughs> yes. I I was coached by a woman. She has been instrumental in my career success. Amazing. I mean, I'll say that... I did all the work, but she has helped guide me and inspire me to do it. But she pulled me aside after a meeting one time and she was like, Dina, I really like the points that you brought up in there. Are you open for critique? And I was like, yes, sure. Beautiful. Which I loved. She asked, (laughs) but she was like, when you're in these meetings, I challenge you to try to voice your opinions with an authoritative voice Mm -hmm. because what I'm seeing and this was something that I learned working at a gold mine where women were not listened to in any regard so I had subconsciously taught myself to put out little snippets of my idea until a man grasped it and used it as his own oh that's heartbreaking well it I didn't care because it got done You know what I mean? And now I realize how it was. And it was only because she approached me and was like, hey, how about we try you saying these things instead of throwing out your ideas and everyone else getting credit for them? And that is, I think it's similar. It was how I learned to get myself heard was to actually just give the ideas to other people. And I'm... It's odd because I'm very competitive, but in situations where it's, I say dire, but for whatever environment it is, say we have servers dying or say we have a a security breach or something, Mm -hmm. I don't care who fixes it. I just want the fire put out. Yes. You know, but her pulling me aside and showing me that I was doing that now I I'm very much more con uh conscious of it Mm -hmm. and I try to let other especially women but other people know because Mm -hmm. sometimes like you said you just that's what happens yeah and you don't you don't try to change it oh that's That's really unfortunate that that happened. And I'm so grateful you had that person there with you, that woman who helped guide you. And I think that's a perfect example of guiding other women who are new, Mm -hmm. you know, be it whatever age demographic they may fall under, helping guide someone in that environment to better succeed or to, to better 
the project and the ideas overall and how they're being expressed. And I think now walking into those next steps, you know, you kind of mentioned learning how to, to speak your ideas. And I think one thing we all need to kind of go through is learning that art form. And so like what I mentioned earlier, you know, it's learning how to say it in a way that's right for your audience, mm-hmm. which is the next step. And you're like, oh my goodness, you know, there's so many, so many ways to say it. And I feel like I went through a phase actually when I was kind of growing out of, of a timidness that I almost felt I was conditioned into mm-hmm. where I would, I would just kind of like blurt it out, you know, where it was just like, you know, this is my idea. And I had to kind of learn how to finesse that as I got further into the work field or further into more complex environments where more was expected from me. You know, how did you find it was in, in your field? So you said you work in IT. Yes. An extremely male dominated area. How do you find that your voice is coming out now? So I'm very fortunate because she works in my current, I work at a nuclear lab. Oh my and, goodness. <laughs> You're amazing. Thank you. It is the most diverse and well-rounded place I've ever worked. Wow. So I That's I really cool. Yeah. It's it's super fortunate that I met her when I did. And of course, I, I truly believe that it happens when it's supposed to, you know, because I was already in the process of going through EMDR and I was open to her. We are friends and colleagues. And I feel like it was much easier for me to start shifting Mm. and being more authoritative because of the environment I was in. If I had had that same coaching when I was at the gold mine, nothing would have changed. There was no way I would have done that. That's good for you. And how interesting is that about the timing too? Yeah. Impressive. It sounds like a lot of growth in a short period of time. Oh, girl, it has been so much. I feel I look back at the last six years of my life and I I feel like I've done 20 years of growing in it. But I actually, since having that discussion with her, I'm now a lead. So... yes you are yeah so I've gotten to where I had I think that was three years ago three or four years ago where I had that discussion and I was like bawling afterwards and now I walk into a room of managers and I'm like no this is how it goes because of blah 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 and know your shit (laughs) yes exactly I 17 years I've been doing this I forget that a lot but that's a long time I, I think it's enough time to know a thing or two. You know? Right. But I've also, since being in therapy and really growing and embracing me, because I'm very creative. Like, I know I'm in IT and that's logical and I do have that mindset. But as you can see, no one else can. I'm in the process of creating a backdrop for myself and I own a selfie studio and all of the designing my husband and I, well, I design it, he builds it. <laughs> That is so cool. Uh, side note, can we just yeah. stop there for a second? Because you brought up such an excellent point. What? You do not need to be all logic or all creativity. And what you do for a living doesn't define the entirety of your personality. And I'm yeah. so happy 
happy to hear you say that you have all these creative outlets. It's so healthy and beautiful. Sidebar, there's a lot of creativity that's necessary in problem solving. So I'm yes. glad that you know, you're able to nurture that nurture that skill set as well, because I feel like that that helps you in your career. Oh, it does. And not only that, but finding the creativity again and embracing it. Mm-hmm. I we were asked to, I can't um hold on. We were asked to bring up a potential issue. <laughs> we were asked to bring up a potential issue to one of our meetings. Okay. And um describe it in a way that it could go all the way up the ladder. And our ladder can go up to the White House. So you know it it couldn't be oh my super in depth. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone came in and they're like, this is the risk and these are the issues and blah blah blah. Well, I came with a PowerPoint presentation (laughs) and I was the only one because that's how I, that's how I best explain things. I have pictures that way. There's only a couple words on the screen Mm -hmm. and the pictures help me remember so I can actually present it. Well, when I got there, I realized this was like phase one and I was like ready for phase 10. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I bring this complete PowerPoint presentation, which I whipped up in probably 30 minutes and was like, oh my gosh, they're going to laugh at me. They loved it. They asked me to send it and that's what they used for my problem. So yeah, so just embracing all of you, I have found is what actually helps you because most people think IT lead in nuclear, you have to be big boss bitch with a blazer and blah, blah, blah. And I walk in there and I, I don't know if you can see, I have piercings. I, I love a red lip. (laughs) Thank you. And I walk in there and I'm like, Hey, look at this really colorful with funny gifts, PowerPoint. And it actually works. (laughs) That's so amazing. Oh, I'm so happy for you. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I have about half of my body covered in tattoos. I've (laughs) seen little peaks as you lift your arm. (laughs) There's there's lots going on. (laughs) um, It's it's so important to be your authentic self because, you know, you bring so much to the table as you, Mm -hmm. you know, when you find yourself in the right space where you can express your expertise and hit that perfect learning to expression kind of ratio you're, you will flourish, you know, and I'm so happy to hear that story as well in sidebar. That sounds like the type of slideshow we teach people how to make, you know, with like limited text on them and the perfect pictures. And it sounds like you knocked it out of the park, which is incredible. Uh, I found similarly too, that staying authentic to myself was such an important part of my, my career so far. And as well, like my learning as I progress and continue as a human being, because when you live authentically, you open yourself to being vulnerable, which means you can actually learn. You know, one of my least favorite pieces of popular culture at the moment is this quote unquote, fake it till you make it, Mm. I think is potentially good advice under very limited circumstances. Like maybe if you need to feign confidence before speaking in front of a large group, maybe that's a good context in a job environment or in like 
some kind of conference setting, I think it's terrible because if you're faking it, then you don't allow yourself the necessary experience to become an expert. You know, you don't teach yourself to ask questions when you don't know or to push yourself and say, hey, look at this. I've grown X, Y, and Z amounts along the way because, you know, you can acknowledge that you started out with limited information or limited understanding. Do you get what I'm saying there? Oh, for sure. Yeah. It If you're faking it, you're not open. Exactly. You know, yes. and living your authentic truth is part of of being the best version of yourself, right? How can you be the best version if you're nurturing some fake mask that you put on every day? Right. Well, and it, oh, get me on the masks. I I really feel that that it holds so many people back. And I'm going to use my husband as as an example. Sorry, Nick. When I met him, he always dressed for, I don't know, he he always looked good, which oh. it's not that he doesn't look good now, but he had to have an undershirt. He had to have a ironed polo or button up. You know, he was always mm-hmm. even on a Sunday and we were at home. So That's I mean, uncomfortable for gaming on the couch. Right, exactly. <laughs> and um, I mean, we weren't at home. We were just getting to know each other and dating and stuff. But the first time he wore like a funny cat t-shirt was two years into us meeting each other. And he told me, he's like, this is the first time I've left my house in just a t-shirt with no undershirt since I was like a child. Wow. And he, he just had this it wasn't a persona. It was him, but he just felt like he had to have that mask. He always had to be put together. He always had to have the right answer, blah, blah, blah. And since being together, I really feel like when you find your people, and I'm not just saying, you know, your partner, but when you find your group of people and you can start throwing those masks in the garbage and catching them on fire, because all they do is just tear you down. Um, But when you start to find yourself, you become happier. It's <laughs> so true. It's so good. And I'm, I'm sorry that he felt that he needed to wear that armor. Mm-hmm. I think most people can identify with that story, you know. Yeah. Um, and I know you shared it with love. So love to Nick right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you're speaking to someone who gets their lashes done every month. You know, uh, we all have something that gives us that ah beautiful nails girl yeah (laughs) and I think the difference is when you stop doing it because you feel like it's making up for something you lack and when you start doing it because you feel like it's something that makes you feel more like yourself yes you know um makeup is so common for women and sometimes now it's becoming a little bit more normalized for some men in some groups and mm-hmm. you did bring up the idea of groups kind of helping you gain that confidence which is also such an important feature yep. um, but you know so many so many people especially women feel that they're not good enough to leave the house without makeup and when did it become mandatory to be yourself if and only if you paint your face every day 
Right. Why, why do we need to sit there and develop artistic talents to say that we have cheekbones, you know, or, or to say that our nose is good enough. And it's, it's not the act itself. That's the problem. Right. I think it's the motivation and the intention behind it that says whether or not it's a good practice that can be so helpful in being your authentic self versus harmful because you're using it as a way to punish or restrict or to please somebody else, you know? Yes. Oh, yes. I love it because there was a point in my life where, like you said, I felt like I had to wear makeup and there was also... There was also, I never wore it when I was married to my first husband and there's a whole lot that goes between it. But as soon as I separated from him, I went out and bought a red lip. Well, I bought like 20. So I found the right perfect shade. (laughs) Yes. I love this story. Yeah. And then I learned how to do makeup and I would do a full face just because I could. And I love that you said it's the intention behind it, because if you feel like you have to wear makeup because that's your best self, you're just telling yourself that a mask is your best self. And that just hurts you on the inside. hundred percent, because all you're doing is giving the power to the facade. Right. Yourself. Right. And it's so damaging. Imagine someone saying to you every day, you're not good enough. But if you looked like this, you could be. Yes. How terrible is that? You know, it and is. Here, here's here, you know, so many people end up in that position, you know, without without noticing. Mm-hmm. so damaging. And I'm so proud of you for getting that red lipstick <laughs> and for finding yourself in such a creative space that that was empowering to you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's beautiful. Well, thank you. Um, another thing I'm working, I'm with another therapist and this year, beginning of this year, I realized that I had an eating disorder and it's mm-hmm. because it's not what you think of. I said that Probably 90% of the people listening thought bulimia or anorexia, but that is not it. Eating disorders I've learned are Mm -hmm. because I called her and I was, had my first consult and I was like, I think I have, I don't, I don't think I have an eating disorder, but I have disordered eating. And she's like, Dina, those are literally the same two words, (laughs) just backwards. (laughs) It doesn't change the meaning here. (laughs) Right. And mine is a binge restrict cycle. Okay. So I would punish, you've said that a little bit ago. I would punish myself for eating something quote unquote unhealthy or bad for me. And I would restrict to the point of like five to 700 calories a day for days on end. And then I'd be starving. So then I'd have like three, 4,000 calories and rinse and repeat. So I, last time I talked to her, I asked her about fasting because it, it's not bad for you when you do it properly and work with someone. And she said, I agree with that. It's about the intent of when you're fasting. And that's what we're looking for because when we started talking about it, I realized that I'm now at, I'm going to look it up real quick because I don't want to be a liar. And I'm really proud of this. 
150 days in a row, I've eaten three meals a day. Congratulations, Dean. Thank you. That is so huge. It Because before I couldn't remember when I had ever consistently done it. Oh, that's heartbreaking. And the amount of strength it must have taken you over the last little bit. Girl, I cried eating breakfast some days because I was just like that internal struggle. But we were talking about it and she was like, the difference is the intent behind it. So what is this coming from? What is spurring this? And when I broke it down, it's because I'm gaining weight. And it's because for the first time in 35 years, I've spent 150 days eating consistently three meals a day. That's 34 years of eating disorder, you know, that I'm breaking a cycle. And I can't tell you how much weight I've gained because Nick hid my scale from me because I asked him to, because that's a trigger that we're not ready for. But she was like, once we got down to it, and I realized that it was because I was. I could feel I was gaining weight in my clothes. And she's like, that right there tells me that you're not quite ready for it because that continues the punish cycle. And it's, it's in a different way because you want to do it in a healthy way, but it's still restricting. Mm -hmm. And until the intent behind it is something of health and not punishment, we, we got to get you through it. So a hundred percent. Wow, that is such a journey and I'm so proud of you and I'm so happy that you're in a better space than you were before. I know it's not your end goal, but that doesn't mean it's not still something to celebrate. Oh, for sure. I think disproportionately women develop poor relationships with food. It's so hard because we need to eat. Yes. Your mental framework around food is in a... a bad or bad quote unquote if you're feeling ill we talked about our brain being ill sometimes if you Mm -hmm. have a sick framework around your relationship with food and you need to ingest it every single day then it means that there's going to be some torture in your life and some shaking perpetuating those thoughts on a daily basis it's so difficult and you're right that fasting can have its benefits I mean Mm -hmm. It's Huberman, Dr. Huberman's lab that I follow on Instagram. He's out of, oh goodness, uh, I want to say Stanford University, who does a lot of research on fasting and how this can be really great for your body in many ways. Mm-hmm. That being said, it is not meant to be a weapon or a tool used against yourself. Right. You know? And yeah, I'm, I'm so happy. And also, sidebar, I don't use a scale. I'm with you on that one, quite yeah. personally as a very active person I much prefer the measuring tape if I'm going to use it because muscle weighs so much and you can see so much difference in your body if if you choose to begin working on a fitness component of your journey mm-hmm. one thing you might notice is that your weight will fluctuate or maybe not at all and you look in the mirror and you're like but I swear there's a difference you yeah. know and you will be healthier in, in hopefully in that journey, but it may not reflect that on the scale. So personally, I feel like they're just toxic tools used against us. Yeah. yeah. And that that's why it's a weapon for me. It's, yeah. 
you can uh, self-harm in many other ways that do not inflict physical damage. And that was one. And I, in this, like I said, I cried eating breakfast and it was because I was telling myself, you need to eat this. But then the shame person was like, you fat ass, don't do it, blah, 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 you know, working through that. Same thing happened with the scale. The first month or two, it was hidden. I was crying because I couldn't weigh myself. And I asked Nick, I was like, babe, tears in my eyes. Can you get me the scale? And he was like, honey, I can if you really want it. But do you want it? And then I'm like, no, I don't. (laughs) He is so freaking patient. He's just like, okay, that's fine. And hugs me and doesn't. I love that he is such a supportive partner to you in your journey. That's so necessary. Yes. Oh, love, love, love healthy relationships. Yeah. And you know what? You're not alone. I guarantee that there are people out here listening to this and, and myself included. You know, I say that I'm a, a fit and active person. There have been times when I've used exercise against myself. Mm-hmm. Know, for me, I call it running for sanity. <laughs> That's what I do is I run distances to maintain my mental health. Yes. And it's a huge part of my structure and habit to making sure that I deal with stress in a healthy way, that I manage anxious, anxious wow, can't speak, <laughs> anxious thoughts and feelings. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and also any depressive feelings that I may be feeling because. Mm-hmm. All of those are part of the human experience, right? Like, it's not like, you know, you're broken because sometimes you might feel anxious about something in your life. Sometimes it's healthy, even. Um, So balancing that has been through exercise. There will be times, though, where I'll notice I'll have these intrusive thoughts kind of pop up where it's like, of course you need to run. Have you seen the way your tummy folds over these shorts? Mm -hmm. And I'm like... That is not helpful. That's not going to push me through a diaphragm cramp, you know? (laughs) It's remnants of of conditioning. Mm -hmm. And bless, my mom did her best, but she was also a product of her upbringing and conditioning in a different era as well. And some things that were said to me as a child in the form of encouragement actually turned out to be quite damaging, you know? hear those things sometimes and I'm like oh okay no 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 why are we really out here okay bring it back bring it back to center who am I what do I need from this experience you know yeah that's it's definitely a healthy reaction and I'm getting there I I saw a reel the other day and people may laugh but you can get some really good inspiration from TikTok and reels oh heck yes yeah but the reel said something like We and the generations above us were fed, obviously it was much more articulate, (laughs) were fed the notion of being, of working out to get skinny. And we need to change the narrative to work out for our mental health and physical health. Can't say that enough. Yep. Can't say that enough. It's so important. And I I feel we're getting there. I really think that our generation and the next one are making big strides on this, uh, on this earth. Honestly, actually, it's so funny. I was talking to my boyfriend the other day who recently started getting into running mm-hmm. about fitness culture. And we, he compared it to an anime he had been watching where 
the main character was looking through clubs and there was the the psychic club and the fitness bro club <laughs> and it flipped the script on the fitness bros where he the main character ended up joining the fitness club because everyone was like you may not be super strong right now, but if you keep at it, you will become a stronger version of yourself. And it was just such a, a funny and lighthearted and beautiful example of how, quite honestly, in my experience lately, I find most people I'm surrounded with in the fitness community have a more positive mindset. They're people who have said, I am here for my personal reasons. You're here for yours. Let's encourage each other. Because, you know, I like to think most of the days of bullying are, are becoming behind us in that, that space and we're making a, a safer space. Also, there's a lot of people like myself, you know, who, who may have gone through days where they were less unhealthy, who are in the fitness space. And there's a lot of us who are now creating a, a higher density and population of we're here because maybe we used to look away that didn't make us feel like ourselves, mm-hmm. or we used to feel a way that didn't feel right for us. And we, we found education and fitness as a way of becoming more authentic, you know, and, and stronger, right? Oh. Yes, I'm I'm here. I'm just I love the way that you think. And I can tell that's why you're in you are like a modern day philosopher. I love it because <laughs> everything's a little bit deeper. <laughs> and it's a it's you good conversation. You. Oh, that is the best compliment I think I've ever received. <laughs> Honestly, childhood dream accomplished. Like just- nice. <laughs> so you wanted to do this since childhood? I think I've always wanted to help people. And mm-hmm. I've always just wanted to think about big things. <laughs> and to me, it was like, what could be bigger than existence? You yeah. know, there's, um, there's a philosopher named Immanuel Kant. And he came up with these two phenomenons called the noumenal and the phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Now, Phenomenal is all we have access to. It's the world through our subjective lens, you know, but the the noumenal, we can never understand, like, you know, reality. We'll never truly be able to understand reality because we can't understand non-reality, you know, or existence itself. And it's like, well, we can't understand what existence is because we can't imagine life without it, you know? And so when I say existence, I'm like, oh, I've always wanted to kind of think about it. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, I'm never going to know this. So as long as I can sort of think about these things for the rest of my life, I think I'll be happy. <laughs> so. so I have to bring up Mark Zuckerberg was on Joe Rogan yesterday. Oh, OK. It was yesterday. And yeah. they were talking about because he is right now all into the metaverse and oh. virtual reality and then. Uh, they talked a lot about altered reality. I think oh. that's what AR is. And um, yes. It's for augmented reality. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Augmented reality. <laughs> but they were talking about it and Joe kept saying in real in the real world. And mm-hmm. Mark finally was like, I know you keep saying in the real world is physical world, but I'm working towards... Something about the virtual world is real. 
Yes. Because it's right there, especially working with augmented reality, because yeah. they're working towards seeing the virtual inside the physical or experiencing the feel of virtual things physically. Yes. And so having that, um, you talking about the existence and non-existence, it, it registered of his comparison with reality. Reality yeah. can be virtual as well as physical. And that really opened up my uh, what the fuck meter. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I can see why it does. And I will tell you, I go a step further yeah. on the subject. And quite honestly, I argue that we already live in a reality that exists between the virtual world and the physical world. Mm-hmm. When you engage with content online, it is the case that sometimes your brain does not know the difference between a conversation had between two people across countries over a computer versus a conversation that you have on the phone versus a conversation that you have without being able to see the person versus someone in your room. You know, if you're looking at their picture on the screen, we're starting to have such close representations of this external stimuli. So anything found in your environment outside of your body that kind of looks the same to your brain. So it it really is the case that the you online is you Mm -hmm. as much as the you in your physical universe. It's just as important to protect and nurture your relationships with what you're exposed to online, with the people you engage with, with the types of content, or even manage those ads because they impact you just as much as seeing, you know, billboards on a highway or magazines in front of you as you flip through. It's the same difference to your brain. It's not that we're getting to a reality where it's going to be both. It's already there, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I think it was good that I listened to that podcast before this because it got me in a whole new mental space, (laughs) open to all the different interpretations of existence. (laughs) Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever cried because of something that you were watching on your phone girl yes (laughs) just as real and it produced a physiological response in you it created an attachment it brought out emotions that were so real that you purely without thinking about it without forcing it you cried whether out of empathy or or sheer shock of beauty or sadness or or anger exactly (laughs) that physiological reaction happened because of something you engaged with online now if that's not a part of your reality I don't know what your definition of reality is because that sounds like it's right to me you know for sure so you have a little different view on this and I wonder And it actually leads me to my next question. Do you think that's because you're a woman, so you view things differently? And the question is, do you feel that women should work in your field? And my answer is yes, because I believe we we see things differently. But I'll let you answer your own question. (laughs) Oh, 100%. I mean, 
There's so many professional and personal reasons why I think there should be more women in my field. And I mean, professionally, to your point, women oftentimes do see things differently. And by women, I mean, whether or not it's a biological and correlated gender expression, or if you identify as a woman and potentially were not born into a woman's body, um, whatever your state and relationship with your gender identity is, there is a component of that lens as an identified woman that does open you to seeing the world in a different way than males. Now, I'm in sciences and engineering which has traditionally and currently been completely dominated by males, Mm -hmm. which means that a lot of the methodological approaches are male-oriented, the language is used, the problems being solved and the ways that they're being solved are tailored to a male way of thinking or a male way of problem solving, which doesn't always mean that it's the best approach. And more importantly, it doesn't mean that it's actually solving the problem. You know, it could just be solving one fast of it. So in that way, I feel if you identify as a woman, your voice and your experience is 100% needed in a field where we literally build innovations to help people. To help the human <laughs> race. Right? Um, and then like, personally, whenever I'm in doubt, I like to remind myself of the history of women in sciences and engineering. Mm-hmm. The women who silently or loudly fought, who lived without being able to achieve their dream, who who died for our right to education, you know, in, in our privileged environment and knowing that there are still places in this world in 2022 where women do not have access to education through misogyny and sexism and abuse and oppression from from fragile human beings who thrive off of that type of mistreatment of individuals and knowing that we're lucky enough to be able to have the opportunity to pursue a dream in our culture even if it was hard like you know like I said financially it hasn't always been easy for me to be able to go to school but I still had the option I didn't choose this body you know but I I have the opportunity to try. And I think if you're questioning whether or not to go into sciences and engineering because you're a girl or maybe we'll be good at it or men are just better at math. I want you to take that in. Sorry. (laughs) Fuck that. You said it. Because those are lies that have been told to you by, by human beings who are fragile enough to profit off of suffering and oppression of a gender, which should never be a reason to not try something or do something. So do it scared, do it anyways, you know? I love that. And I have to bring up, so Nick and I were talking last night about, sorry, this is the Nick show apparently. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay, he's he's welcome anytime too, all voices. We were talking about how the human species from what he and I know because we are not biologists and we don't study animals. Humans are the only species that make the women weaker. Hmm. Where women don't run the show. That's interesting. Right? 
I don't looking at it, like I said, I'm not a biologist. I have not done a lot of studying, but in a lot of like lionesses, yes, they have one male lion, but lionesses, they get the food and they rear the children and they do all the things. They run that pack. (laughs) Yeah, they really do. And he was like, why do you think it is that humans are the only ones that oppress the women? Why is that? And he's like, is it evolutionary? Is it, is that what stands us apart? He's, is that what stands us apart? And that's why we have advanced technologically. It, what is the reasoning for that? So I, I wanted to throw that at you because this is like your whole life is thinking <laughs> of these things. <laughs> Honestly, I think that's a really great question. Mm-hmm. I'm also not a biologist. Uh, I can tell you that there are many people who fall under two categories. There's a form of cyclic oppression where there's almost this power dynamic that comes with a cycle of oppression where some people see power as oppression and then replicate it wherever possible, then perpetuating this, this cycle on and on where you find even in some cultures, women are oppressing other women because they themselves felt oppressed as women. I feel like the U.S. was like this previously and we're getting better. Honestly, agreed. And one of my least favorite compliments is when people are like, oh, you're so much prettier than her. Like, first of all, fuck off. We're both beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, And so it's, there's this cycle of oppression that, that oftentimes can occur and be perpetuated through different types of cultural norms or societal norms. And I also feel that currently, and I'm, I know you can think of the examples that I'm kind of leaning towards here. There are many people who continue to profit off of the oppression and they're under a misguided misconception that someone needs to lose for them to win. Yes. I feel like this mindset is poisonous. It's stopping so many people from growing in so many ways, even the people who are oppressing others. Yes. Well, do they know? Uh, So it's almost like it's um, in, in my humble and not specialized opinion, it's almost like it's a cultural problem. You know, it's been fed back to us through various forms of oppression. Now, religion is a great example of this because there's so much good and power and beauty that can be found in religion and of religion. Yet, it's so oftentimes used as a tool to oppress and abuse and to continue that cycle of oppression to, you know, hurt other human beings, most oftentimes females in those religious circles to teach them dogmatic principles of, you know, you must sacrifice X amount in order to be worthy of me. And I get to decide what's worthy, you know, it's abuse, straight up textbook, you know, that that may be why I I don't think it's a biological thing because quite honestly from what I've learned in science we would benefit most as a species if we stopped focusing on so much of our differences and started focusing on how we could supplement each other's growth you know there's so many things that that women uniquely bring to the table which is incredible human beings who identify as 
women most oftentimes carry traits that that you do not find in people who identify as males. Mm-hmm. And same goes vice versa. You know, there's so much that that males can bring to the table. And we've we've praised your husband so much this this time, which has been beautiful because you know he's a male who brings so much value to the experience. What if we sat back instead of saying, you know, why are men better or why are women better? And we were just like, hey, team, let's just be a team. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's, let's work together. You feel that you need some help here? Let's help out here. I need some help here. Let's help out here. You know? Yeah. yeah. I think that's really what's holding us back is this comparative game. I agree. And I have been criticized because I only interview women in male dominated fields. And it is not because I believe women should because they're women be in these fields i believe that a divide a diverse voice needs to be in every field Mm -hmm. therefore i being a white female Mm -hmm. in a male-dominated field Mm -hmm. am passionate about and can speak to that voice 100 and i feel that being able to let other women have this discussion will empower so that one day I don't need this podcast. My, my goal is to work myself out of the job, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Dina, you don't need to be everything. I can't. Those criticisms are founded on this misconception that you can somehow be everyone or everything. You said it yourself, you know, you are creating a space for a specific voice to be heard, which is important. And there are other people in this world who can create more spaces, gain inspiration from that. You do not need to be everyone. And by championing this space and creating a safe haven for women to share their experience working in a male-dominated field, you enable us to have that platform, you know, and, and hopefully inspire more people to, Hey, if you want to interview males working in female dominated fields, host that podcast. That sounds amazing. Let's talk about it. You know, very cool, but that doesn't need to be you, Dina. And I think it's unfair for people to expect you to be everything all the time and do it all perfectly without sacrificing any of your mental health, well-being, family work, you know, blah, 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 blah. Other things that women are supposed to sacrifice for others, you know? Yeah. Well, and that I'm good now because I've had lots of therapy. So I recognize that. And that's all I, I tell them. I'm like, I am white woman. I have the opportunity to speak out more than other people in demographics. Therefore, I'm using my voice. And the more that we're out there, the more it it's easily seen or the more it's going to be easily heard from other voices too. 100%. So there's, there's a whole lot going in between it. Absolutely. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up was you said something about if we would stop comparing everyone would it would be to the betterment of our whole society, including those who are oppressing. Yes. And I fully believe that. Um, my husband and I recently bought a dry cleaner and we have we have 
aspirations to like go up the corporate ladder and be not the corporate ladder, but okay. My goal is to build a indoor sports arena for my town. That is so cool. So So in order to get that, we have to get pretty prominent in our location and move our way up. And one of our goals is to demonstrate how to change the corporate structure from the inside. Because when you're an employee, Mm -hmm. you can say, if you do this, life will be better. But nobody knows because that's not how it's done. So my husband and I have set out to, husband is Nick, by the way, if I didn't make that clear. (laughs) Um, (laughs) My husband and I have set out to demonstrate how if we change the corporate structure to focus on the employee it's to the betterment of the employer and I I feel like because in most corporate structures employer overpower employee you do whatever the top says and because of our background we both came from different backgrounds but still we were not financially well off we we've had to work our way up and i i feel like because of that we understand being the low man on the scrotum pole <laughs> so it also makes us realize that without your janitor without your in my world pressers without the counter people there's no fucking business like we're nothing without everyone that works for us. And I wish that the corporate structure would change. And I'm against wishing. I'm all about doing. So in order for us to change that, we're showing it. Amazing. That's the goal. (laughs) I think that's the healthiest way to express discontent I've heard in a long time. You know, it's so oftentimes I think there's this misconception that complaining about something is doing something. Mm. It's it's untrue. I love that you're putting your money literally where your mouth is literally. That's such a beautiful, beautiful thing to do. And I think it's the same with the podcast. It's the same with the dry cleaner. And like, you know, even in my own sense, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this yet to you, but I'm actually writing a book, a nonfiction book. And it's my way of saying I'm done talking, putting something out into the universe. And it's interesting to me that this thought came to you from comparative culture and comparisons, because you're right in that there's, there's two kinds of things going on here where in a sense, and I almost wish there was a different word, mm-hmm. but kind of scaling your positive and negatives against the business models of other people. You know, trying to not say comparing because I don't want to give two definitions and make it all confusing. Right. But, uh, you know, scaling in that way has enabled you to see, okay, what works, what doesn't, what am I aligned with business-wise, ethically, how would I like this to go? And you're able to see what is successful, what is not successful. And I think when we do this as humans, the important component here is to do it without shaming as Mm -hmm. well. You know, if, if you're talking about how another person is choosing to go about their way of doing things, it's, well, I may not agree with the way that they do X, Y, and Z. And if it works for them and it's not harming anybody else, then that's okay too. 
You know, it's a different way. And that's all right, because the second part of what you brought up that I think is really important is that instead of externally facing comparative culture, it's kind of flipping that framework and saying, what if we just focused on comparing inward and then seeing how we fit into the external culture or society in a productive sense, as, as opposed to destructive or just as shameful with coming back to intent. I feel like that's like the theme of our talk, yes. <laughs> you know, where you're looking at yourself and you're saying, how can we be better? Comparison can be a great tool. It can also be a great weapon, you yes. know, and I think it's knowing the difference it's wonderful that you're doing that. And I'm so excited to hear how this goes. Sport can be such a therapeutic thing and it's so good to have in every community. I'm so, so happy for you. That's such a beautiful goal. Yeah. And that I'm, I'm learning my philosophy <laughs> is if you go at things trying to be I don't want to say the best because you want to be the best version of yourself. But if you go into things trying to just be the best compared to everyone else, comparison again, or just for selfish reasons, if you're selfish with all of your intentions, it it's not going to happen because you're doing it for the wrong reasons. It's so true. So oh I really, my goal is not to be super wealthy. But in order to do the things that I desire to do for the world, I have to, you know, I have to attain the next level of wealth. So it's, I feel like it's just where your intent is. You're right. I'm just naming this intentions. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And it's so important. Um, also, Cyber, I totally agree with you. Money is one of those very tricky things where it's like, uh, it, it's not about the money. Mm -hmm. Also, so many things that you could do that are good for the world need money. So right. it's like 22 that we're stuck in. Oh, well, yeah. and it's, it's not bad to want money. It's bad to want to take money from other people just to take money and then just to hoard it. I don't know. I just feel like just having money to have money yeah. doesn't sit well with me. It might for other people, but for me, it just, it's like buying a car to put it in the garage. Yeah, that's a really great way to put it. Uh, I agree with you. I've always said my dream is to attain a level of wealth where I can set up a scholarship. That's mm -hmm. always been my thing. And I'm like, oh, that's the dream. That's what I've achieved stable, comfortable wealth is when I can be in a position where I can actively help someone else Oh yeah, every single day. And it's, it's kind of feeling it back into the world as well. Like you said, you know, it, it makes me uncomfortable and maybe it's because of my upbringing or my experience. That being said, I want to be secure, of course. And if I do choose to have children, I want them to feel secure. I also don't want to take away work ethic from them. They're going to have jobs if I do have children, you know, and I, I don't want to take away from other people who could benefit, you know, what is the point of dying wealthy? Right. You know, that, that to me does not hold any value or meaning, you know, what did you win monopoly? Good for you. You know, right. Um, exactly. 
Yeah, maybe there are components I don't understand or complexity to it that that makes more sense to other people. And I've yet to hear that out in, in my, my opinion, it's just not for me too. So I'm with you. Yeah. Now, if someone wanted to get into your position, Mm -hmm. um, not your field, that's probably more accurate. What advice would you give them? Work hard work harder than you think you'll have to and learn how to apply your experience from other fields to this one. One critical part that I I mentioned at the beginning when we first started talking is that computer science is not the same as artificial intelligence in that all computer science is AI, but AI is not comp sci. Mm -hmm. If you want to enter this field, know that you need multiple lenses and you need lots of backgrounds and ways of thinking about a problem. And of course, if you would choose to work on a comp sci component, you will need those skills and you will need to develop them and you will need to be good at them. That being said, all of your experience can be great experience. Don't let the fact that you did maybe an English degree stop you from dreaming about entering into this field. You can, absolutely. There's lots of courses that you can take or ways that you can start getting your, your toes dipped in the water, you know. Um, don't let a non-conventional background stop you from considering this because all of those things are necessary. English, for example, is important in writing how AI engages with human beings. Mm-hmm. Chatbots need to be written, you know. Explainable AI needs to have questions and answers, all of these good things. You know, we need lots of backgrounds. We need lots of perspectives. The voice that I talk to when I think I'm talking to a person, when I call Verizon, that one, that needs to yes, be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's so true. And they need, they need scripts. There's so much behavioral research that goes into the word choices that are presented how they're picked, what tone it is, what gender is the voice, how old does it sound, all of those things. Someone's got to decide, someone's got to do it. (laughs) Now, what's the best advice you've received? You gave us good advice. Now we're (laughs) going to steal more from you. (laughs) Um, I think possibly embrace your journey and don't listen when someone says you're working too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was lucky to have, and, and still have, quite honestly, an amazing mentor. He supervised my undergrad thesis and my entire master's degree. And Dr. West always talks about embracing the non-conventional path because that's what makes you good. He actually only hired me into his lab because I had three jobs and was able to maintain an A minus. You know, I wasn't an A student. I didn't get all the best grades, you know, but it was because I had all of those experiences that I actually became qualified for that job, you know, and it's kind of wherever you are in this world, embrace that and be honest and open about it. Ask for that help. And as far as not listening when someone says you're working too hard, this is not to say ignore your mental health. Right. Or your obligations at home. This is to say that people get lazy. And there's a whole lot of normalizing lazy behavior going yes. on in 
the mental health discussions, which is not mental health, you know, it's, it's almost like damaging thoughts masquerading as self-help. <laughs> yes. It's important to know how to call yourself out on that and say, Hey, maybe you do need to put in an extra few hours of readings this evening. You know, that, that working hard is actually really important. Don't shoot yourself in the foot by saying, Oh, but I need a self-care night. If you don't, it also takes away from the power of self-care when yeah. you explain it like that, you know? So respect that. And well, maybe if they say you're working too hard, you're working the right amount for you. Pay attention right. to your, you know? I love that. The external, fighting with the external versus you. Because like right now, I work okay. um, about 80 hours a week. Oh my goodness. Okay. But a lot of that is at the selfie studio. So I'm sitting at the front desk yeah. and just writing or editing podcasts or you know what I mean? So it's not like I'm I'm actively thinking for 80 hours a week. Well, I tell people all the time because I don't know if you realize I've said dry cleaner, I'm a lead at a lab. I own the selfie studio. We also sell wine barrels. So yeah, and I'm working on a right, I'm working on a book as well. And um I have this podcast and people are like, where do you have the time? How can you do that? Don't burn yourself out. Well, it's been a year now and I'm not burnt out. And it's because I'm doing, oh my gosh, let me just hit everything at once. <laughs> I'm doing what works for me and I'm listening to me. So there are times when I'm sitting up there and I'm listening to a book cross-stitching or watching Hulu. Yeah. And there are times where I'm writing or, you know, just it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. And there's a lot of hustle culture. That's, mm -hmm. that's like a new buzzword right now. And people are like, don't buy into the hustle culture, blah, blah, blah. Well, sometimes a hustle is not their hustle. Just because it looks like someone's killing themselves to you doesn't mean that's what it looks like to them. It's so true. That's so, so true. And I love that. Thank you for sharing your experience. And I love the way you frame it because you're absolutely right. Those sound like fulfilling ways to spend your free time to me. Right. What else are you doing? You know, it's, it's about the value of what you consider your experiences and your quote unquote off time to be. Mm -hmm. And then you fit in neatly compartmentalized boxes in your life. Like this is X project. This is Y project. This is Z project. That being said, it doesn't mean that each single one means that you're pushing your brain to solve the answers of the universe all at the same time. Right. You know, you're, you're fulfilling dreams. You're being creative. You have a life and hobbies and goals to work towards. You know, when we were children, Many of us engaged with lots of activities through school or community programs and had a sport after after class, you know, and it, it was just normal. So right. why is it not normal for you now as an adult to have something you dedicate yourself towards each week, you know, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays or, you know, every single day? Why is that not something that's healthy? You know, and I think right. it's because you're right. A lot of people infer that their experience or their opinion is the way it must be. Yes. And that's true. You know, just listening or asking you, hey, 
what does that look like to you? Do you feel fulfilled or relaxed when you're at the selfie studio? And it sounds like you do, you know, it sounds painful. Of course, there's always stressful times, right? That's just life. Everything good has a spectrum of experience, but, or that as well, you know, lots, everything has a spectrum of experience. Yes. <laughs> But, you know, that's, that's really beautiful. It sounds healthy. And that's exactly what I'm talking about is maybe you're, you're not working quote unquote too hard. You know, you're working the right amount for you. Yeah. Well, and I just know what I would be doing at home because I did it for 34 years, 33 (laughs) years, you know, I, I would be watching TV or like, I don't drink alcohol anymore. I mean, I do on very rare occasions, but sometimes I would get bored and have a glass of wine and I would be groggy the next day. And that's just me. But now I'm at work, so I'm not drinking at work, you know, and then I go home and I feel rested and it works better for me. So it's yeah, it's the judging is you you have to really know yourself just like just know you. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And yeah, once you know yourself and what you want from yourself and your life, then that honesty kind of gives you the motivation to, yeah. to make the right activities for you. For sure. So you said you run and you said you're writing and you said you work, but what do you do for fun? Uh, I would consider my writing to be fun and running to be fun most of the time, except for when I'm cramping. Right. (laughs) I'm also very creative. I love to paint. I love to spend time with my friends, try new foods. I play a lot of video games as well. Nice. Be a typical nerd over here. (laughs) What kind of games? I love RPG style games, open world mostly. Uh, My favorite game at the moment is Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I've played through the Mass Effect games like so many times. I'm so stoked for the new one whenever it comes out. Dragon Age as well. I love the Dungeons and Dragons twist on the video game RPG. So those kinds have of have you played Diablo 3? I have not. Is it Girl, worth it? Oh yeah. my gosh. Oh, okay. that, that is mine. Um I'm not a I'm not good at first person shooters. And it's not my desire to get good at them. So I just don't do them. <laughs> Understood. But yeah. uh, Diablo 3 is RPG and it gets after the story is open world. Oh. But you don't have to do the like, be super uh, accurate when you're aiming at people to murder them. So it's, it's, like, it's more fulfilling a... for me. Yeah. So, But yeah, it's... Games. Uh, nerd. (laughs) I actually, my mom would never allow video games growing up. So I very rarely got to play them only when I was at like the babysitter or friend's house. And so when I moved out, I I got video games. And when you go in my house, I have an NES, I have a super, I have a, I have all of the retro gaming systems. Love that. Mario. (laughs) It's what? It's like nerd gold right there. Yes, it's like <laughs> my jam is Mario. But um, yeah, then I don't play a lot of more modern games. But yeah, Diablo 3 is, it's like so good. I will just zone out for hours. It's the best. 
Amazing. Now I know what I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> you have to. It's so good. You have to tell me how it is. <laughs> I promise. I promise. Oh, it's so fun to have friends to geek out with about video games as well, because like, let's face it, they're amazing. It's like storybooks you yes. get to play through. How amazing is that? Like, well, it's just like a, uh, those old books, which they don't have anymore. They need to, where you uh, decide your own adventure. Yes. I used to read those all the time when I was a kid. Right? Like the goosebumps and yep. that. Oh, the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been amazing getting to know you. And are you on any socials? So if you're looking to find me, I have a website. It's cognitivekate.com. Kate with a K. And you can always reach out on LinkedIn. Sweet. Awesome. It's so well, great to be with you too. Thank you so much for having me today. It was. This has been the best. I appreciate you so much. And I will let you know when this comes out. Oh, thanks, Dina. All right. You, you have a it's such a pleasure. Oh my goodness. Sure. You have a great day, Kate. You too. Bye. Bye. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you had as much fun as I did. If you liked this, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure that you can more easily find me in the future. Thank you again. Bye. We got the rights.